This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everyone. Bismillah alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. So alhamdulillah rabbil alameen, last week on the first we talked about Ja'far ibn Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu who played such an instrumental role in taking Islam to Abyssinia, taking Islam to a place that would grant refuge to some of the most noble companions of the Prophet as they first entered into Islam. And when we got to the conversation between him and Najashi, the ruler of Abyssinia, known as the Negus or his, his name, Ashama radiallahu ta'ala anhu, we kind of paraphrased it because I wanted to give this its own special episode. And what we're going to be doing inshallah ta'ala as we go through Ashama today, is that we'll go through the next few uh, of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ whose stories were not only connected to them embracing Islam very early on, but whose stories also run through Abyssinia. So the likes of Abu Salama and Umm Salama and Zubair, may Allah be pleased with them all, which is, allows us to really appreciate the central role that Abyssinia plays, the migration to Abyssinia plays in the early days of Islam, as well as the central role that the man who made it happen plays, and he is a Najashi, Ashama radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So his name is Ashama ibn Abjar al-Najashi. As we said, Negus, which is the equivalent to Caesar or, or, or Khosro, is the, uh, is the title of the ruler, and Ashama is his actual name. Uh, he was the king of his empire, which is in modern day Ethiopia, and his people, the empire, the Asham empire, had embraced the orthodox tradition of Christianity in, a, in about the fourth century. So they're some of the earliest uh, Christians, but they embraced orthodox Christianity around the year uh, 340, according to historical sources. And so you have this man who is the ruler of this empire that is uh, known for an episode in Islamic history, but who really has a rich history and a rich biography before Islam and after that momentous occasion between him and Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So let's talk about him inshallah ta'ala. Well, for one, he was not just a ruler. He was someone who was a learned and devout Christian before Islam. And the empire was known as an island of Christianity in a sea of polytheism. He was a scholar of, of his Christianity. He was a worshiper. He was well known for his righteousness, for his character. And we see that the Prophet ﷺ recognized some of these traits when the Prophet ﷺ tells us that people are like precious stones. The best of you in the days of ignorance are the best of you in Islam. If you, if you have proper knowledge, proper understanding, well, that means that the good qualities that exist before Islam are only further polished through Islam. And so when the Prophet ﷺ recognizes him as a just ruler, a just ruler before Islam would reach him, that's something that he's known for. He's known for his piety before Islam and after Islam. He's known for his wisdom, his ability to be judicious, to listen to all sides of a story, which is exactly what he's going to do when Ja'far and the Muslims come to him seeking refuge. And then Amr ibn As makes a claim against those refugees, against those Muslims who came fleeing that persecution. And he makes it a point to you know, exercise his wisdom to listen to both sides of the story. And he has integrity. So he is not going to be swayed by the gifts that are going to be brought to him or the attempted bribery. He's also someone that is known for his, his knowledge, his, uh, you know, his, his, his intellect. Uh, as we said, a well-read and a well-studied man who recognizes what he hears of the message of the Prophet as being that which is confirmed by uh, Jesus and Moses, peace be upon them both, uh, as, they, as they preceded the Prophet ﷺ and they prophesied the coming of the Prophet ﷺ. And we'll see that he also, as he speaks to Amr ibn As, he tries to appeal to his intellect. So he has uh, a certain level that is recognizable and well noted before Islam. His name, Ashama, uh, which, is, which is a very uh, curious name, Ashama is the equivalent of Atiyah in Arabic, which means a gift. And subhanAllah, truly he was uh, a gift. And the word Najashi, which we said is the title, the equivalent of uh, the Caesar. Najashi comes from the word Najash, which, which means ziyada, which means an increase. So it refers to 
the uh, the bounty uh, of that position. And of course, ashama, as we said, is a gift. And there's a very specific sentence about ashama, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, or from ashama, that is uh, that, that, that he says that will come up later on in the story of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha or when Aisha radiallahu anha speaks about him. And it will come up when Ashama refuses the request of Amr ibn As. And here's the, the narration. Here's what he says. Ashama used to say, Wallahi ma akhadallahu minni rashwa hina radda alayya mulki. He said, I swear that Allah did not take a bribe from me when he gave me back my kingdom. So he said, وَمَا And he did not do, Allah did not do what they wanted him to do against me. So how can I do what they want me to do against him? I'm going to say that again. Allah did not take a bribe from me when he gave me back my kingdom. So how can I take a bribe for my kingdom? And Allah did not do what they wanted him to do against me. So how can I do what they want me to do against him? This was the statement of a Najashi, and it was a famous statement, and there is a history behind that statement. And here's how we learn the history of that statement. Urwa ibn Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the son of Az-Zubair radiallahu anhu, who was in Abyssinia, who, uh, who has some very interesting incidents within Abyssinia, he once said to an Imam al-Zuhri, which is of course a great way in which we collect the seerah of the Prophet Urwa says, do you know what a Najashi meant when he said that statement, that famous statement of a Najashi? Do you know what he meant when he said that? He said that Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha said, Aisha is the aunt of Urwa ibn Zubair. Uh, so Urwa is narrating from Aisha, which is very clear uh, in the seerah, which is very common in the seerah. Uh, Urwa, whose father Zubair was in Abyssinia, and so it's part of him as well. He's narrating from his aunt Aisha radiallahu anha what that statement actually meant. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha said that Najashi's father was the king and he was his only son. And his uncle had 12 sons who were all part of the royal family. So again, Najashi, Ashama's father, was the Najashi, he was the king. And Ashama was his only son, which might be why his name is a gift. Allahu alam, Allah knows best. Uh, but he's his only son. His uncle, his paternal uncle, had 12 sons on the other hand. And so some of the Abyssinians, they plotted to assassinate the father of a Najashi while Najashi was still a young boy so that his brother could become the king and he would have 12 sons to inherit the kingdom. All right? So... They plot against a Najashi's father, Ashama's father. They kill him. And automatically after that, his brother becomes the king. Now, Ashama was still a young boy. He's not really at an age where he can perceive much of what is happening here. So what happens is Ashama is taken in by his uncle <clears throat> to live amongst his cousins. So you now have the uncle that's taken the throne after murdering his father, plotting to murder, murder his father. And Ashama growing up as the lone son of the murdered father amongst his 12 male cousins under the care of his uncle who plotted to kill his father. <clears throat> so in Najashi, Ashama is growing up with his uncle and the rest of his cousins. And as he's growing up, he's demonstrating his clear superior intellect and wisdom and strengths and talents to all 12 of his cousins. And so as he's growing up, he's also becoming more perceptive of the plot that took place to kill his father and why that all happened. And at the end of the day, by the way, that was to rob him as well of the kingdom, right? If this would have carried out in the way that it was naturally supposed to carry out, Ashama's father would have lived as long as he would have lived. He would have completed his term as a Najashi. And when he passed away, the kingdom would be inherited by his one son, Ashama, who would become a Najashi. But now he understands as he's growing up what has actually taken place, that his uncle was behind the murder of his father and that this was done so that the kingdom would transfer from his uncle to one of his 12 sons. 
So because he was growing up and because he was demonstrating this superiority, some of the uh, people told his uncle, who was the Najashi at the time, they said, you know, we think you should kill him because if you don't kill him, then he might grow up and he might dethrone you. You know, he's, he's figuring out what's taking place. He's becoming perceptive and he's too smart of a man and too wise of a young man and too talented of a young man uh, to not cause you some problems if you don't get rid of him the way you got rid of his father. So his uncle, who's the king, he says, listen, I already killed his father, so I can't kill him too. He said, but instead what I'll do is I'll, uh, we can deport him and we can send him into slavery. I don't have it in me to kill him, but let's get rid of him another way. So that night they come to Ashama, they capture him and they take him to the slave market and he is sold for 600 dirhams. The, the man who bought him takes him to a boat, sets out with him. And on that night, as he's on the boat now with the man who has taken him as a slave and you know, the kingdom is playing out the way that it's supposed to play out, right? Without a Najashi, without Ashama, who's being taken away on that very same night as he is being taken away by the man who took him as a slave. The clouds are in the sky, but there is no rain that is coming. And as the sky is cloudy, the people ask his uncle, who is the Najashi, who is the king, to pray for rain. So he comes out, he gathers the people, and he stands under the clouds, and he prays for rain. And just as he does that, Allah sends a lightning bolt that strikes him and kills him. All right. So his uncle, who killed his father to become the king, he dies. Now what happens? Well, what the people wanted to happen initially was that, again, the kingdom would transfer to his 12 sons that guards the, uh, the empire, that makes it less vulnerable. So it's not dependent on one man who would have been Ashamats. It has all of these 12 sons that it could pass through. But the problem is, is that all of his children were incompetent. And so as the kingdom passes on to his son and his children demonstrate complete incompetence, the people are unsatisfied. And who do they want to be the king? They say, let's go back to the original plan. Let's find Ashama and let's make him the king because he grew up to be wise. He grew up to be uh, a strong, talented, able young man. So let's go find him. And let's make him the king instead. So let's reverse all the damage that we have done. The problem is, is that he's already been sold into slavery and he's in a faraway land now uh, at the mercy of his master. So they go on a, on, a, on a search to try to find the man that they threw away after they killed his father so that they can replace now the sons of the uncle of Ashama. So they find Ashama as a slave and they capture him from his master, take him back, put him on the ship, bring him back to Abyssinia, put him on the throne, and they put a crown on him and they proclaim him to be the king. SubhanAllah, they killed his father so that this wouldn't happen. And they, they caused all of this instability so that this wouldn't happen, right? But what's actually happening now is that Allah brought him back right to the throne Placed on the throne, the people are giving him willingly their allegiance and Ashama takes his rightful position. The story doesn't end there. The man who purchased Ashama, he comes to uh, Abyssinia to complain about this whole situation. So he goes to a Najashi and who is the Najashi? The Najashi is Ashama himself now. And he says to him that, look, I purchased you in the market fair and square and I took you and then the people came and they stole you from me and you were my property. So this isn't fair. I want, I want my money back or I want you back. But somehow this has to be rectified. I paid 600 dirhams for, uh, uh, for this and this was all taken away from me. So in Najashi, he looks to his people and he says, look, he says, either you give him back his money or give him back the one who he purchased. So subhanAllah, they, they take 600 dirhams. They give the man his money back and he sets out and Ashama assumes his rightful position as a Najashi after this entire spectacle. And by the way, if it sounds familiar, uh, it might sound a little bit like Simba from Lion King. And there's actually a PhD thesis and some uh, that mentioned that Lion King was inspired by a Najashi or the story of a Najashi uh, in some iteration. And that's why uh, you'll actually find that even the producer of the Lion King musical is actually a man from Ethiopia named Negus. So, 
There's an entire documentary there, an entire story there uh, that gives us so much wealth and so much richness to understand pre-Islam, before Ja'far stands in front of this man, think about all that he has been to and uh, been through and the way that that is going to translate into his own sense of justice now as a king, his own experiences translating into his own commitment to those that are oppressed and those that are wronged for reasons that are, uh, that, that are beyond their capacity. Now we fast forward. He rules the kingdom wisely and competently. He brings Abyssinia much economic prosperity. He is a Christian scholar, as we said, devout, loved by his people, stabilizes the kingdom. And the Prophet ﷺ, who has never been to Abyssinia, nor has he met him, he says, if you go to Abyssinia, it is best for you because they have a ruler that will not tolerate injustice. And it is a friendly country. So go there and stay there until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relieves you from your distress. The Prophet ﷺ sends, as we said, the likes of Ja'far and Uthman, his own daughter Ruqayya, Zubair, Asma bint Abi Bakr, Ubada, Umm Salama, Abu Salama, and some of the most noble companions. Most of the narrations about what then transpired in Abyssinia are narrated by Umm Salama radiallahu ta'ala anha. And we're going to talk about her next week inshallah ta'ala. But let's go to her narration now to get another perspective into the story of Ja'far and the story of Amr and Abdullah ibn Abi Rabi'ah coming to take them back. Umm Salama says, when we reached Abyssinia, Najashi, knowing that we were a people that fleed for, for purposes of religious persecution, to escape religious persecution, he gave us a reception and he told us that you are able to safely practice and worship here and you will suffer no injustice here, nor will you be made to feel like foreigners. SubhanAllah, he doesn't know anything about them or their religion at this point, but because he's a just and a righteous man, he says these are a people who have fled persecution and we will make sure that we give them the home and the hospitality here that they did not have in their own homeland. So Umm Salama says, we were in khair, we were in goodness. And then uh, Quraysh sent these two men determined to bring us back. And of course, those two men were Abdullah ibn Abi Rabi'ah and Amr ibn al-As. And they sent them with all sorts of leather and skins and, and gifts so that they could bribe him to bring to bring them back. And Amr ibn As and his father had a relationship with a Najashi prior uh, to that. So they came to a Najashi and they said that some fools from our, from our land have taken refuge here. They've forsaken our religion and they don't practice your religion, but they fabricated a new religion, which is unacceptable to both you and to us. Our noble ones have sent us to the king to return them to us. So, uh, they, they, they speak to um, the, the, the king, they speak to a Najashi, and the generals of a Najashi at that point, they advise a Najashi to listen to Amr and to Abdullah ibn Abi Rabi'ah. So Amr and Abdullah ibn Rabi'ah actually first started with the generals of a Najashi to get some support when they speak to him. Najashi, of course, responds with anger, and he says, Wallahi, I will not surrender them said, no one who seeks my refuge and settles in my land and trusts me is going to be betrayed. He said, but I'll hear their case. He said, if they are what you say they are, then I'll send them back with you. Otherwise, they stay here in protection and hospitality. And there's actually even a letter from Abu Talib uh, to, um, to a Najashi. And he says, does the Najashi still treat Ja'far and his friends with kindness or has the Fatan prevented him? Has this, uh, this person of mischief being Amr ibn As prevented him? You are noble and generous. May God protect you. No refugees are let down by you. Know that Allah has increased your happiness and all prosperity has found its way to you. You are a river whose banks flow with bounty, which reaches both your friends and your foes. So Abu Talib sent a letter when he knew that Amr had gone out to Najashi to try to prompt him as well. Najashi says, I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to hear what they have to say. If they are who you say they are, they go back with you. Otherwise, they get to stay here. And that is when Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu comes forth. And Ja'far says to him that, O oh, king, we were a people in a state of ignorance and immorality. 
worshiping idols and eating the flesh of dead animals, committing all sorts of abomination and shameful deeds, breaking the ties of kinship, treating our guests badly, and the strong among us exploited the weak. And we remained in this state until Allah sent us a prophet, one of our own whose lineage, truthfulness, trustworthiness, and integrity were well known to us until the end of the speech, this extremely eloquent speech of Ja'far that we spoke about last week to Al-Najashi. And as he you know, imparts upon Najashi all of the akhlaq of Islam, the qualities of Islam that are very well known to Najashi as the qualities of the religion that he also upholds. And they speak about, you know, Ja'far speaks about the, the nobility that Islam has brought upon them. And he contrasts that to the practices of Quraysh. Najashi is won over. And that's when a Najashi uh, who was touched asks him, do you have anything of this divine revelation that was sent to your messenger? And that's when Ja'far so wisely recited the portion of Surah Maryam, Wathkur fil kitabi Maryam, and make mention of the book of Maryam alayhi salam, the mother of Jesus, peace be upon him, the mother of Isa alayhi salam, all the way until ma kana lillahi an yatakhida min walad. So he, he recites that portion of the story of the birth of Isa alayhi salam, Maryam receiving the glad tidings of Isa alayhi salam. And when he did that, Najashi welled up with tears, his eyes welled up with tears and his beard became wet from the amount of tears that he shed. So it wasn't just a little bit of crying. He wept when he heard the story of Jesus and his mother, Maryam, as told in the Quran. And not only him, but his bishops cried as well. And this is actually, uh, according to many of the Mufassirun, uh, this is where وَإِذَا سَمِعُوا مَا أُنزِلَ إِلَى الرَّسُولِ تَرَى أَعْيُنُهُمْ تَفِيضُ مِنَ الدَّمْعِ مِمَّا عَرَفُوا مِنَ الْحَقِّ يَقُولُونَ رَبَّنَا آمَنَّا فَاكْتُبْنَا مَعَ الشَّاهِدِينَ The verse in Surah Al-Ma'idah that and when they listen to what has been sent down to the messenger, you see their eyes overflowing with tears because of the truth that they have recognized and they say, our Lord, we believe, so write us down amongst those who bear witness. So Al-Najashi cries, they cry and a Najashi goes to them and he says that what you have brought and what Isa alayhi salam, what Jesus brought are from the same niche. So he, he, he gives that example, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And after he says that to Ja'far, he says to Amr and to Abdullah that you may go. And he said, wallahi, I will never give them up to you. And you will not be betrayed. He says this to the Muslims that you will not be betrayed or let down. Now, Amr ibn As doesn't give up, right? He says to Abdullah ibn Abi Rabi'ah, he says, listen, I know something that I can say to him that can change his mind. And Abdullah ibn Abi Rabi'ah, this is important to note here, by the way. He says to Amr, look, why don't you just give up at this point? He said, look, at the end of the day, there are kin. These are our family members, even if they reject our religion, right? Like, do we really have to go that far? But Amr is insisting Amr al-As is insisting, no, I'm, I'm not going to let them go. I'm going to make sure that we, that we achieve what we came out here to do. And Abdullah ibn Abi Rabi'ah is like, let's just go back to Mecca. So that's when Amr says, I'm going to tell them, and Najashi and his generals, that they say Isa alayhi salam is nothing more than a, than a creature and a slave, abd, makhluq, right? That I'm going to, to tell them they denigrate Isa alayhi salam. So Amr tells Najashi, uh, you know, or he, he, he requests another meeting with the Najashi and his generals alone. And he tells them, he says that, do you know that these people, you know, he conveniently recited a portion of Surah Maryam yesterday where he doesn't talk about what Isa is not. Okay. He recited the part where the birth of Isa Islam and things that are agreeable to you, but he left out what's not agreeable to you. Do you know that they say that Isa Islam? is just a abd of Allah, just a, a slave of Allah and, and a creature of Allah, one of the creation of Allah. So in Najashi and the generals, they summon them again. And that's when Ja'far anhu says, as he is commanded by Najashi, tell me what you say about him. And Isa alayhi salam says, Huwa Abdullah wa Rasulu. He is 
Indeed, the slave of Allah and the Messenger of Allah, the same way the Prophet is Abduhu wa Rasulu, the slave of Allah and the Messenger of Allah. And he is the word of Allah that was communicated to the womb of Maryam السلام, the pure. So that's what he says about him. That's when Najashi takes that stick and he draws a line and he says that Wallahi ma kharaja Isa ibn Maryam an hadhal ut that I swear that Isa does not exceed what you have said by the length of the stick. That that is exactly who Isa alayhi salam is. Now when he said that, this is a different situation because that's a rejection of what they knew as their Christianity up until that point. Even though they were Orthodox Christians and Christianity, you know, their Christianity might have differed in some ways from some of the other forms of Christianity. But when he said that, uh, the generals of the Najashi, they actually started to grunt, okay? They started to make noise, like, wait a minute, what are you saying here? Are you really agreeing with Ja'far that this is who Jesus, peace be upon him, is? He's the messenger, the Messiah. He is uh, the servant of God, the word of God, but he's not the son of God, the begotten son of God. Are you really saying that? Because that's what the indication is when he says that Isa Islam is just what you said. He is, he, he is exactly what you said, and he does not exceed it, even by the length of the stick. So as they are grunting, Najashi looks at them and he says, even if you grunt, even if you grunt, I don't care if you grunt, you can grunt all you want. You can make all the noises that you want. And he turns towards uh, Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu and he says, you are free in my land. And he says, man sabbakum gharim, man sabbakum gharim, man sabbakum gharim. He says it three times, whoever curses you will be punished. Whoever curses you will be punished. Whoever curses you will be punished. And he says, Wallahi, subhanAllah, this is so noble, right? So what a noble man he is. He says, Wallahi, not for a mountain of gold would I allow anyone to hurt you. These people that are coming from Mecca, these are their family members. They're foreigners to Najashi. But this, this is already giving us a lesson, by the way, in Ukhuwatul Islam, and not just in integrity and justice, but the brotherhood of faith here. He said, I would not even for a mountain of gold allow anyone to hurt you because you have a righteous cause and you're on, upon the truth. SubhanAllah. So even if Amr and Abdullah ibn Abi Rabi'ah go back to Mecca and they bring back more skins and more gifts, I am not going to give you back. And that's when a Najashi turns towards Amr and turns towards uh, uh, Abdullah ibn Abi Rabi'ah. He says, give them back everything that they brought and that's when he says, Allah did not take a bribe from me when he gave me back my kingdom. So how can I take a bribe for it? And Allah did not do what they wanted him to do against me. So how can I do what they want me to do against him? That experience of being abandoned by his relatives for materialism, for wealth, and being mistreated the way that he was, and him knowing that it was Allah that brought him back from those chains and put him on the throne for that moment so that he could uphold righteousness. Najashi says, no way will I ever be bribed. Will I ever be bribed for the sake of this world when Allah put me here for a greater purpose and Allah put me here to establish righteousness and justice. And Ja'far, uh, Najashi dismisses everyone from his court. At this point, imagine this, the scene from the court of An-Najashi, the great court of the king of Abyssinia. It's only now Najashi and Ja'far and everyone is gone. And Najashi walks close to Ja'far and Ja'far has a letter from the Prophet for him, inviting him to Islam. And Najashi says, Ashhadu annahu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam وَأَنَّهُ الَّذِي بَشَّرَ بِهِ عِيسَى بْنُ مَرْيَمُ وَلَوْلَا مَا أَنَا فِيهِ مِنَ الْمُلْكِ لَأَتَيْتُهُ حَتَّى أَحْمِلَ نَعْلَيْهِ So beautiful. He says, I bear witness that he is the messenger of God and that he is the one whom Christ, the son of Mary, gave glad tidings. And had I not been in this situation of mine, مَا أَنَا فِيهِ مِنَ الْمُلْكِ If I was not in the situation of kingdom, if I did not have the responsibility of this right here, he said, I would go to him and I would carry his shoes. SubhanAllah, complete submission to the truth. And you can actually see at this point now 
There, is, uh, there are letters that are going to be exchanged between Najashi and Muhammad وسلم, the Messenger of Allah, uh, for the rest of a Najashi's life. There are numerous letters that are going to go back and forth from Mecca to Abyssinia and back and from Medina to Abyssinia and back until Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala uh, would take uh, the life of a Najashi uh, j- just, just a few months or a year or so before the, the death of the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam. And you can actually find uh, some of these exchanges in Zad al-Ma'ad by Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala. I'll read the translation of, of one of those letters from Ashama Najashi to Muhammad Rasulullah SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam. He said, Assalamu alayka ya Rasulullah wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Peace be unto you, O Messenger of Allah, and the mercy and the blessings from Allah, besides whom there is no God. I have received your letter in which you have mentioned about Jesus and by the Lord of the heavens and the earth, Jesus is not more than what you say. We fully acknowledge that which you have, that with which you have been sent to us. And we have entertained your cousin and his companions. I bear witness that you are the messenger of Allah, confirming those who have come before you. And I pledge to you through your cousin, through Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and surrender myself through him to the Lord of all the worlds. Beautiful, beautiful submission to the truth immediately. The kingdom did not distract him. The kingdom did not distract him because he knew that it was Allah that humbled him and that gave him that kingdom, even though all odds were against him. And so he was not going to let this kingdom distract him from the truth. Instead, he was going to use the kingdom and the position that he had to serve the mission of truth, even though he never met the Prophet And that's what's really amazing about this. We're going to see some of the ways that he continues to interact with the Prophet Is he a Sahabi then? Does he count as a companion? I mean, he believed in the Prophet in his lifetime. He supported the mission of the Prophet He sent letters to and from the Prophet He will serve as a wakil. As, as, an, as, as a representative of the Prophet وسلم, as we'll see in the story of Um Habib. I mean, there's so many different things that he does and there's clear communication between him and the Prophet And so uh, Imam al-Dhahabi rahimahullah says he was a Sahabi in some ways, but a Tabi'i in other ways. I mean, really he fits the definition of a Tabi'i and he's the best of the Tabi'in in that sense. If he is a Tabi'i, meaning someone who met the companions of the Prophet وسلم, then he is the best of the Tabi'in. Right, uh, so he he really is a peculiar case in so many different ways, and how you would uh, look at the, the definition. Uh, may Allah Subhanahu wa Taala be pleased with him. So, a Najashi at this point knows that he has uh, he's taken a decision where even though he has privately embraced Islam, that moment between him and his generals and in front of the people where. He said that Isa that Jesus peace be upon him is to the extent that Muhammad described him. There's some skepticism about him now. And he does not have the, uh, the full buy-in at this point from his people. So he calls uh, Ja'far and Uthman, may Allah be pleased with them. And he actually furnishes a full safina, a full ship for them. And he says, listen, if... I am rebelled against and unseated, then take the ship, it's fully taken care of, and take this pathway and leave to safety. It will suffice you and leave to safety, but as long as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instills me in this position, then you are free to live here in safety and in, and, and in, in, in goodness. So I'm going to take care of you as long as I am in charge, but if something happens and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, chooses otherwise for me, then I've already got a backup plan for you. This is the, the amount of amana, the amount of trust he's showing to what the Prophet ﷺ entrusted him with. Um Salama radiallahu ta'ala anha, she continues to tell the story. She says that sometime later, a group of people rebelled against him and we were afraid that they were going to be successful in removing him. So they met at the Nile for a battle. And it was two large armies, the army of Ashama and the army of the rebels. Now the Muslims are sitting it out, right? They're, they're distant from it all. They're distant from the politics of Abyssinia. They're just trying to survive as refugees in Abyssinia. They're not getting involved in these things. But can you imagine how much they wanted a Najashi to win to survive this rebellion? 
So she said that we went out to the, to the Nile from a distance and we wanted to know what was happening. So as Zubair anhu, he was the youngest of us and he was, uh, he was very fit and he knew how to swim. So as Zubair swam in the Nile to see what was happening, as Zubair anhu jumps into the Nile, he swims so that he can uh, witness the battle and then come back and give the news to the Muslims about what took place. So Umm Salama radiallahu anha, she gives us the scene. SubhanAllah, imagine the Muslims, amongst them the daughter of the Prophet Uthman radiallahu anhu, these amazing people. Two women who would become the wives of the Prophet one day. She said, we were making dua. We're, we're saying, oh Allah, grant him victory. Oh Allah, grant him victory. Oh Allah, support him. And then we see Az-Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu coming back. And we, we call out to Az-Zubair, what happened? What happened? Az-Zubair radiallahu anhu shouts out, Allahu Akbar. Right? So, you know, he shouts out this happiness and joy. And she said, we all started to shout out takbirat, hap and joy. And she said, wallahi, I don't think we were ever so happy and relieved. And Najashi came back. Allah established him on his throne after destroying his enemy. And the chiefs of the Abyssinians fully submitted to him again. She said, we were in the best conditions all the way until we returned to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So, uh, Allah gave them this victory, right? And it was a victory for Islam that Najashi survived. Uh, even though he was a secret Muslim, he survived this rebellion and that further established him in his power, uh, uh, you know, afterwards. We also see um, that Najashi plays a role, as we said, of being the wakil, the representative of the Prophet Wasallam. Um Habiba radiallahu ta'ala anha, Ramla, who we'll talk about in detail. And her story is so beautiful that I don't want to talk about her story now in depth. But let's just say that she did move with her husband. She was amongst those that embraced Islam early. And we'll talk about her story. Uh, she's the daughter of Abu Sufyan, who disowned her. And of course, was at that, po- you know, at that point, uh, one of the chief enemies of the Prophet sallallahu And her husband passed away. And we'll talk about Ubaidullah ibn Jahsh and... Uh, what happened with him. So she is now alone in Abyssinia and the Prophet وسلم, he sends a letter to Najashi with Amr ibn Umayyah and proposes to Um Habiba. But the letter is to Najashi. The Prophet وسلم, says, if she accepts the proposal of marriage, then I want you to be my wakil, my representative and perform the marriage on my behalf. So subhanAllah, Najashi is going to act in the place of the Prophet ﷺ in conducting his marriage. And Najashi chose, uh, Najashi delivers the news to Um Habiba. Um Habiba is overjoyed. The Wali is Khalid ibn Sa'id ibn al-As, who we'll talk about, as he was her closest relatives, uh, her closest relative. 400 gold dinars from a Najashi for the Mahar, which is tens of thousands of dollars, by the way. And Najashi sets up the Walima in his palace, uh, but he does it in a way that his generals and his bishops would not be aware. So he takes a hall in his palace, he sets up the uh, the Walima, he gathers the group of Muslims there. Uh, amongst those that attended the Walima were Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Abdullah ibn Hudhafa radiallahu anhu, and so many others from the companions who were amazing uh, and, and, and well known for their righteousness. And the marriage is performed in the palace of a Najashi with a Najashi acting in the place of the Prophet وسلم, conducting that marriage and addressing that gathering. And then Um Habiba radiallahu anha, when the time would come, uh, was sent to be with the Prophet So how is a Najashi, subhanAllah, achieved? I mean, when we talk about the first, the first king to accept Islam, the first... Uh, the, the first to, to accept Islam in Africa, the first to, um, you know, to act in the place of the Prophet ﷺ for one of his marriages, the first to exchange letters with the Prophet ﷺ in this regard from the royalty. There's so many different ways that you can define uh, the first of an Najashi, and there's still more to come. But don't you think that the suspicion would only grow about him in this regard, radiallahu ta'ala anhu? And of course, there was a suspicion from that day, from that moment, that maybe he did privately embrace Islam and that he had a secret relationship with the Muslims. So even though they loved him and he was a noble king and a righteous king, that skepticism remained. So what does he do? 
And this is part of his wisdom, by the way. He takes a, a piece of paper and he writes on that piece of paper, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh wa anna Isa abduhu wa rasuluh. I bear witness that there is only one God and that Muhammad is his slave and messenger and that Jesus is his slave and messenger, peace be upon them. So he writes the shahada, he writes the testimony of faith. He puts it in his shirt and then he wears his armor above his shirt and he assembles his people and he calls his people and he says to the people, you know, are you not in good? He, he says, you know, are you not happy and pleased with the situation that you are living in? You're living in stability. You're living in success. Everything is good. And when he says that, they say, we are, we're happy about our situation. We are happy about our stability. We're happy about the economics. We're happy about the politics. But they said, there's one thing. And he said, what is that? He, they said to him that you left our religion when you claimed that Isa Islam, that Jesus, peace be upon him, is the Abd of Allah. How could you, how could you say Isa salam was Abdullah? So Najashi responds to them and he says, Well, what do you say about Isa salam? They said, Hu Ibnullah, he's the begotten son of God. Najashi points to his chest and he says, Wallahi, I believe nothing more than this. <laughs> SubhanAllah, the wisdom of this man, the righteousness of this man. He can't give up his identity at that point because that would jeopardize Islam. He's being wise about it. He's being smart about it. The Muslims need this stability. So he says, I believe nothing more than this. Pointing to the note, the people would think that he was uh, affirming what they had said about Jesus, peace be upon him. He is affirming instead the testimony about Jesus, peace be upon him in his heart. And he says, I believe nothing more than this. And he would remain in that state until his death. Now, here's another very interesting first about a Najashi. And it is one of my favorite uh, stories about An-Najashi radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He's the only tabi'i because we said, according to the, you know, the, the, the technical definition, he matches more the tabi'i, the best of the tabi'i in the second generation, those that follow the companions in the sense that he met the companions and he embraced Islam. He's the only tabi'i to give da'wah to a sahabi, to call a companion to Islam and to have them accept Islam. What are we talking about here? SubhanAllah, after the Battle of the Trench, Khandaq, the Muslims survived the onslaught of all of these people from all of these different directions. Amr ibn As, once again, he says to Quraysh, he says, listen, he says, let's go to Najashi. Not, this time, not to get the Muslims that have been persecuted, but this time he said, because Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Muhammad is growing in his strength and his power, and he's not going away. And it would be better to live under a Najashi than to live under him. Meaning if the Prophet ﷺ keeps growing and keeps succeeding, and then he fights us and defeats us, we don't want to live under his rule. We'd rather escape to a Najashi and live under a Najashi because uh, he would treat us better, especially considering that we killed the Prophet ﷺ's family. We persecuted him. We d- we've done all of these horrible things to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him and his family. So let's go to Najashi. I have a relationship with him. And let's see if we can set the stage that if in case we need to go and flee to Abyssinia for pers- from the persecution of the Muslims, that he would give us refuge. You see the way the tables have turned at this point? So let me go talk to him and see if he can protect us in the case that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you know, continues to grow in, in his power. So once again, he comes to a Najashi. He has all of these gifts, all of these skins, and he sees the messenger of the Prophet Amr ibn Umayyah, who of course came and performed or brought the letter to a Najashi from the Prophet So he sees the messenger of the Prophet Amr ibn Umayyah, he, he looks at him and, and he's, he's, he's confused when he sees Amr ibn As there, right? So just so happens they're arriving at Abyssinia at the same time. He didn't know if he became Muslim or if he was there uh, to do something else. And of course, at that point, Amr ibn al-As was not yet a Muslim. So instead, he goes to a Najashi and he offers his gifts once, once again. And he even suggests, he says, why don't you give us over, he doesn't know Najashi is a Muslim at this point. He says, why don't you give us Amr ibn Umayyah? We can send a message to, the, to Muhammad about our relationship, about our strength. He's grown now. 
tries to tell Najashi that his empire is going to come after you. you. You know, now the Prophet Muhammad they're no longer a persecuted minority in Mecca. They're an empire. You should fear them. He's trying to do something else with Najashi. And Najashi, at this point, he strikes him. He hits Amr, according to one of the narrations. He smacks him. Like, what is wrong with you? And he says to him, listen to what he says to him. He says, you want me to reject the man who was visited by An-Namus al-Akbar. Who is An-Namus? The angel Jibreel alayhi salam. Who used to go to Musa alayhi salam? Who used to go to Moses? You want me to reject Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa and, and he was visited by An-Namus. Remember Waraka called Jibreel alayhi salam An-Namus, the angel who brings secrets. He was visited by the great Namus, the way that Musa alayhi that Moses was visited by the great angel. You want me to reject him? And Amr ibn As is shocked. And he says to him, he says, listen, I am a nasih to you. I'm giving you advice. I'm an advisor to you, Amr. Like Najashi is having straight talk with Amr now. We've known each other for a very long time. Our relationship goes way back. He said, you would do better to obey him and to follow him for he is the messenger of Allah. He is the messenger of God. So Najashi is testifying to that with Amr ibn As. And he and his followers will no doubt be given victory just as Musa alayhi salam, Moses was given victory over the Pharaoh and his army. So Amr was, was, was shocked. He says, is he really a messenger of Allah? <laughs> after all of this, after all of this, he knew the Prophet and he'd been playing the politics and the battles and all of these things. And he says to a Najashi, is he really the messenger of Allah? And a Najashi says he is the messenger of Allah. And Amr ibn al-As embraces Islam at the hands of a man that never met the Prophet A foreign man, a king that never met the Prophet even though Amr knew the Prophet and many of the companions. That is when Amr decides to embrace Islam. SubhanAllah. So this is the part of the story you usually don't hear. Najashi giving da'wah to Amr ibn al-As Amr ibn al-As accepting Islam at that point, or you know, at least developing the, the conclusion that I'm going to embrace Islam. Najashi arranging the covenant between Amr and the Prophet And on the way back, Amr ibn al-As now is going uh, you know, to Medina uh, to embrace Islam. He's on his way to embrace Islam. Who does he meet on the way? He meets Khalid ibn al-Walid. Khalid ibn al-Walid, of course, Amr and Khalid were instrumental in fighting against the Prophet especially in Uhud, right? And Amr uh, sees Khalid going in the same direction. He asks Khalid, where is he going? Khalid says, I'm going to the Prophet I'm going to Muhammad to embrace his religion. I'm going to seek forgiveness from him and embrace his religion. Amr says, I'm going to do the same thing. So Amr and Khalid, may Allah be pleased with them, go to the Prophet together to embrace Islam. And that's where the famous conversation between the Prophet and Amr ibn As uh, who takes place where Amr who just as he's about to embrace Islam, he takes his hand back and the Prophet says, what is it? And he says, will I be forgiven for all of my sins? All, that, all the enmity, all that I've shown towards you, all that I've done, is Allah going to forgive me? And that's when the Prophet said that Islam does away with everything that comes before it, that you are forgiven for all of your sins. And Hajj, a Hajj Mabrur and Hijrah, migration, do away with everything that came before it. So that is when Amr extends his hand to the Prophet after all of those years of plotting against him, going to Abyssinia multiple times, the battles of Uhud and so on and so forth, and becomes a Muslim. And so in that state, you know, SubhanAllah, Amr is a result in many ways of the da'wah of a Najashi. To have a Najashi confirm the Prophet to Amr and to say to him, just stop this and go to him and you humble yourself. He is the Messenger of Allah. Allah will give him victory. And subhanAllah, what happens is that Amr ibn As becomes Muslim and the rest of the story of Amr is part of Islam. All the Islam that spreads through Amr ibn As uh, has something to do with that meeting between him and an Najashi. A few years pass, some time, some time passes and Jibreel alayhi salam comes to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and he informs the Prophet sallallahu that today Najashi has died, that Ashama has passed away. SubhanAllah, remember Najashi told Amr that he is the one that was visited by Jibreel alayhi salam the way Musa alayhi was visited by Jibreel. 
Jibreel comes to the Prophet ﷺ and informs him that a Najashi has passed away. The Prophet ﷺ, he assembles the Sahaba in Medina and he says, لَقَدْ مَاتَ الْيَوْمْ رَجُلٌ صَالِحٌ Today a righteous man has passed away. So pray upon your brother. Pray upon your brother. Najashi, subhanAllah, never got to be in the presence of the Prophet ﷺ. He never got to, he didn't learn the rulings of the religion. He didn't, you know, uh, get, to, get to be a part of the establishment of the deen in that sense, right? He lived away from it all. But he was so righteous that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends Jibreel to inform the Prophet to lead uh, janazah upon him. Uh, and this is the only time, the only time that we see Salat al-Ghaib, uh, the, the prayer upon the one who is absent. This is the only time we see the Prophet perform it. Jabir ibn Abdullah says, I was in the second or the third row. We gathered together. This was nine years after the Hijrah. And the Prophet led us with four takbirat and we prayed janazah on a Najashi, even though he was not amongst us. And of course, this leads to many uh, different um, discussions within fiqh, within jurisprudence and amongst the schools of thought. Was he prayed upon because there were no Muslims to pray upon him in Abyssinia? Or was he prayed upon because of his greatness and his impact, right? Was this a unique situation only to a Najashi? Or are there people like a Najashi that uh, we we carry out the same uh, the same prayer uh, al ghaib upon the one who is absent uh, due to the fact either that they were a great person a person who brought about much goodness to the ummah or because the people were not there uh, to pray upon him and to give him a proper janazah and so there you have the prophet and the sahaba praying janazah upon him in medina imagine in masjid nabawi and their salawat reaching uh, An-Najashi radiallahu ta'ala anhu. An-Najashi was buried in Abyssinia in modern day Ethiopia. And there's a narration from Aisha radiallahu anha that's, that has some weakness in it. Um, but it's a, it's a beautiful narration. She says, That when An-Najashi passed away, that the people would say that the grave of Najashi, the Muslims who saw the grave of Najashi always had some nur, some light that was coming out of it, the best of the tabi'een and possibly even one of the sahaba, but certainly the first of many, the first to have janazah prayed on him by the Prophet even as he was physically absent, the first king to embrace Islam, the first tabi'i to give da'wah to a sahabi, uh, the first of so many different things. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with him and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gather him with the Prophet and the companions as they were not able to be gathered in this life. May Allah gather them for eternity in paradise and may Allah gather us with them in the presence of our beloved sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Jannatul Firdaus. Allahumma ameen. Jazakumullahu khayran. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.